third week of our four weeks in the series. And the first two weeks we talked about dating. That was our primary focus. The first night we talked about, am I mature enough to date? Am I the right date? Like, like what is it for me? Am I ready? And uh, the next week, last week, we talked about um, who is the right date? What does that man look like? What does that girl look like? What, what do I need to be looking for in a person that I want to spend my life with one day? And uh, tonight we get into my favorite part of the series, sex. So tonight we're talking about sex. And, uh, and just before we get started tonight, I want everybody, everybody in here, if you got your Bibles, you can open up the 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And if you're in here tonight and you have a Bible, raise your hand if you brought your Bible tonight. Yes, that is awesome. You know what, here, here's a $15 uh, thing to iTunes for bringing your Bible tonight. Who else brought their Bible? Somebody bring their Bible over here? Did somebody bring their Bible over here? Yes, you did. You brought your Bible right there. Yes, you did. Uh, you know, we're here this weekend, we're here every Thursday night, and we're going to read the Bible, we're going to get into the Bible, so you need to be bringing your Bible every week, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so uh, enjoy iTunes on us. Tonight, we're going to be talking about sex, and the title of the message tonight is Just a Spark. Now let me explain a little bit to you guys a, a story in my life, in fact, um, uh, I have had uh, a couple crazy, dumb encounters in my life. Anybody ever done anything dumb before? Woo! Yeah, you can relate. My friends, my friends. Well, when I, was, uh, when I was in college, I worked at a youth camp, and we had this youth group come up, and they were going to help us build a paintball course at our camp. Now, we already had a couple courses. We we're going to build another. I was responsible for the project. So we go out and, and we're, we're, uh, we're kind of cleaning up brush and, and, and building little forts and, and just different stuff like that to make this cool paintball course. And the students were having a good time because at the end we were going to get to play paintball on the paintball course. And we've been working on this paintball course for like two days. And, and we had this little pit kind of like down in a valley. And in this pit we had a little fire going. And what we would do is if we like found some tree had dropped a bunch of limbs on the ground, we would gather up the tr limbs, we'd throw them on this fire, and it, and we, it would just burn throughout the day. Well, we got to the end, and it was time for dinner, and the fire had completely burned out. The only thing that was left was just a few little embers, a few little sparks, and so I walked over, <laughs> I picked up an igloo cooler of water, and I poured it on the fire and on the embers that were left, getting most of them out. And the only thing that was left was just a couple little sparks, but no big deal. And so we go back over, and we are just hanging out. We're getting ready to eat dinner, and we look up like 10 minutes later, and smoke is just billowing out of the woods. And so we, we're freaking out. So we take off running. We're sprinting through the woods, and we get there, and the fire is spreading all across the woods, and that was the second forest fire I've ever started on accident. <laughs> and uh, we called the fire department, 911. The fire trucks come out there. And, and I mean, there, and, and ended up, before it was all said and done, these, these few little sparks ended up causing this massive forest fire that burned over nine acres of land before it was all said and done. Now, this is what we had to do. This is pretty interesting. What they made us do, they, they gave us, they told us to get as many rakes as we could. And, and so we got out there and we would get like, you know, a good distance from the fire and, and we would start raking these massive like channels around the fire because what happens is, is that unless a fire has fuel to burn, it can't burn. 
And so they're like, you know what? We're just going to let it burn its course. We're going to let it burn the land. But we want to we want to we want to rake away and rake away this channel around it. So when the fire gets there, it will burn all the fuel that it has to burn, all the twigs, all the leaves, all the limbs. It'll all be done, and, and it'll protect the rest of the land. So we got a good distance away from the fire, and we began raking, and we began doing this, and we began we began taking it all around this whole entire thing. And eventually, finally, like I said, we put the fire out. And um, and so yeah, that was a hero's moment. Moment. You know, we put the fire out. I'm just kidding. I just like getting you guys to clap for me. Anyways, but um, and, and so and so listen. I'm going to show you here in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians chapter seven. The Bible talks about our relationship physically with each other in terms of a fire. And this is what I know about fires. Fires start as a spark. And when we add fuel to that spark, a fire begins. And when I met my wife, man, there were sparks. Like I met my wife and I saw her and I was like... Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I was like, my buddies, they were like, dude, you got to go talk to this girl. I looked down there. I was like, dang right, I'm going to go talk to that girl. And I go down there and immediately, you know, and I mean, I mean, that spark was there and that spark was all through our relationship. It wasn't like when I spent time with my wife, there was no spark there. And the reality is when you guys get in relationships, let's just be honest, let's be real. There's going to be sparks. Like you're going to be attracted to the person, like you're going to be with that person, you're going to want to be with that person, and there's going to be sparks. And listen, this is what I want you to get. Hear me, hear me. Don't add fuel to the spark. You want to know the secret to keeping your relationship pure. Don't add fuel to the spark. I have a lighter in my hand. The interesting thing about a lighter is, is that if you've ever picked a lighter up that has no lighter fluid in it, when you strike it, all it does is spark because there's no fuel. See, the metal rubs against the flint and causes a spark, and when you push down on the little, the little pushy downy thing, whatever it's called, on the back, it, it releases the gas, and the spark lights the gas, and it produces a flame. And in your relationships, as you have that spark, you have to be careful in your relationship not to add fuel to that spark or you're going to cause a fire. And fires cause damage. And if you get to chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, I want to show you this. And this is just absolutely amazing story. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which we're going to go back to in a little bit, is the sex chapter of the Bible. And uh, so it talks all about sex. It talks all about this kind of stuff. You get to chapter 7, and it's a little more about marriage. But like I've told you guys through this whole series, what we want to do is we want to elevate marriage to its proper place. Because if we elevate marriage to its proper place, it helps us understand why God tells us to keep ourselves pure, why God tells us to hold this special gift that he's given us, sex, for our husband and our wife. And I want you to notice what he says here in verse 1 of chapter 7. He says this. Listen, now for the matters you wrote about. It is not good for a man not to marry. Now hold on a second. If that's what your translation says in your Bible, that's a bad translation. 
Say, hold on a second. I thought my Bible's truth. I thought my Bible's this. Yes, it is. But we have to read the Bible in its context. And I want you to understand something. The Bible was originally written, the New Testament authors originally wrote in Greek. That was the language that they wrote in. We have manuscripts, some that go all the way back to within 10 years of when the New Testament was written. So when they translate your Bible, they don't go and translate the NIV from the King James and the King James from the whatever Bible. And so people say, well, how do we know through all these years, through all these translations, that now we have like what God said and God's real word? I mean, couldn't people have messed up throughout all the years? Yeah, that would be the case if they made copies after copies after copies through all the years. But when they translate your Bible, Bible, they go all the way back to the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, and they go all the way back to the Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament was written in, and they translate your Bible from those manuscripts that were written a couple thousand years ago. And so the New Testament was written in Greek, and what the proper Greek translation here is, which the King James Bible gets it right, it says this, it is not good for a man, listen, to touch a woman. It is not good for a man to touch a woman. Now, if I go over here and I touch her, you say, oh, you sinned. That's not what he's talking about. That word touch comes from the Greek word that literally means to kindle a fire or to set a flame. The word woman, the word that the Greek word used for woman there is the word that means a virgin or a woman who is unmarried. Literally, what he's saying is that it is not good for a man to kindle a flame or to set a flame a woman who he is not married to. It is not good for a man to kindle a fire with a woman who is not his wife. You say, Derek, then how far is too far? See, I get this question all the time from teenagers. They say, how far is too far in my relationship? Like, is kissing too far? Is, is touching on top of clothes too far? Is touching underneath clothes too far? Is, like, as long as I'm not having sex, I mean, like, is that not too, I mean, am I good? Like, am I good that way? It's too far when you begin to add fuel to the fire. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're, you're hanging out with your girl or your dude, for you ladies. I don't hang out with dudes, so I don't really know how that feels. Anyways, and so you're hanging out with your girl, you know, and you're just in one of those moments and that spark's there and, you know, your heart starts puttering a little bit, you know, and it's beating really fast and, you know, and you're just like, you get all the oogly googlies, you know what I mean? And you're just like, oh man, I just want to hold her hand, you know. I remember the first time I held Megan's hand, like I was like, inside I was like, hallelujah, you know what I mean? I mean, it was exciting, you know, and like your hands are all sweaty, you're like, you're like trying to wipe them off before, you know what I mean? You're like, oh God, I hope she doesn't, you know, trying to wipe them off because you know it's coming and you're kind of inching a little closer and, you know, and then you get, I mean, you're just you know what I mean? And, and, and so that, and, and so, so you start, you know, you start to get to going. And people say, Derek, how far is too far? This is how far is too far. When the flame begins to go. See, for some of you, that's holding hands. If holding hands with someone makes you want to keep going further with them and makes you want to keep going deeper and deeper physically with that person, then holding hands is too far for you. 
If kissing someone is, it causes you to, to like just, just, just want to go further and you're kissing them and it makes your hands want to go places they shouldn't and, and, it just, and it begins to add fuel to that fire, listen, your bodies are designed to go all the way. Because God created us that way. Amen? I mean, that's a good thing. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And, uh, but God created us to keep going. He didn't create us to stop. And so, you know, we get to going and, and, you know, we're, and all this kind of stuff. And then people are like, yeah, but, I mean, it's all good if I have a makeout session. Listen, I find it hard to believe that you can have a makeout session with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and you not be kindling the flame. You not be adding fuel to the fire. At least in my experience. I've had guys literally tell me, I lay in the bed naked with my girlfriend, but we don't do anything. What? <laughs> all right, first of all, you got problems, all right? Because I'm not laying in the bed naked with my wife and doing nothing, right? Like, what, like... Like, this is not going to happen, right? And so, and so you're like, yeah, I mean, let's be real about this, right? And, and here's the deal. You may lay down in the bed naked with her one time and two times and three times, but here's the deal. You're adding fuel to the fire, and eventually that fuel is going to connect with that spark, and it's going to cause a flame, and it is going to lead to something that is going to destroy. It's going to lead to something that's going to destroy. See, Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality among you. That word sexual immorality is also used here in 1 Corinthians 7. It's also used in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which I'm going to show you here in a minute. And that word sexual immorality comes from this word called pornia. And it's spelled like this. There's actually four Greek words that are given in this whole entire passage. Pornas. Pornaya, porne, and, and the other one's hard to say. But every single one of them, every single one of them begin with that root word, which is where we get the word pornography from or porn from. And this word, sexual immorality, includes every form of sexual immorality. Pornas, that's the, the masculine word for sexual immorality. Porne. That is the feminine word for sexual immorality. The word that is translated sexual immorality every time in the Bible is pornaya. And it literally means having sex with someone who is not your wife or your husband. It can mean oral sex. It can mean, it can mean any kind of perversion. Homosexuality is included in it. Bestiality is included in it. Any perversion of sex the way God intended it is included in this word, literally. And what he says is there should not be even a hint of sexual immorality among you. A double cheeseburger. Who likes double cheeseburgers? Oh, yeah. You bring out the McDonald's bag and people start getting excited. Yeah, man. I mean, I love double cheeseburgers, man. I, I, I mean, I really like double cheeseburgers. And, and, and we say, what does hint mean? When you say, do not let there even be a hint of sexual immorality, what is hint? Well, I got a little dog poop here.
Guys, guys, guys. It's just a hint. Guys, listen. Just a hint. Just a hint of dog poop ruins a perfectly good double cheeseburger. Listen, listen. This double cheeseburger is 99%. 99% okay. It just has a hint of poop on it. You say, what does it mean to have a hint of sexual immorality in my life? When, when he says, do not touch a woman, do not kindle with a woman. He says, do not let there be even a hint of sexual immorality among you. This is what God's saying. God's like, hey, listen, when I say don't let there be a hint, I mean don't let there be a hint. When you look at dog poop on a, on a thing, you see how disgusting that is? When God looks at sexual sin in your life, when it's not done the way he designed it to be done with your, with your wife one day or with your husband one day, this is how God looks at your sin. This is how God looks your life. He says, do not let there be even a hint of sexual immorality among you. Now let's keep going. Look what he says. He keep, let's keep going through this because this is, this is awesome. He goes on to say, he says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, now basically who's he talking to here? He's writing to the church at Corinth. He's writing this to Christians. He goes on earlier in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and he says, those who have been washed by the blood of Jesus, those who have been sanctified or set apart for God, those who have been declared righteous by God. He is talking to Christians here and he's saying, you guys have missed it. You guys are screwing up. This culture right here was very sexually driven. In fact, around the city of Corinth, they had this, this, these mountains that were around the city. And on one of the mountains, they had the temple of Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love, the goddess of sex. And in Aphrodite's temple, there would be temple prostitutes where the men and the women would go up into the temple and as a part, as an act of worship to the, to the god of, of Aphrodite, which is where we get the aphrodisiac from, to, as an act of worship, they would go and they would, they would sleep with these temple prostitutes in order, in order to worship. And this is what he says. He goes on to say, but since sexual immorality is occurring, he's saying, guys, you're dropping the ball here. He says, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Let me tell you something. This is great news. This is what he says. Since sexual immorality is happening among you, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go sleep with your wife and your husband. Like, this is a marriage chapter here. You say, why is this important? God designed sex. And he didn't just design it for it to be for procreation or to have babies. God designed it also for fun. Also for enjoyment. And we see that right here in this passage. He says, listen, man, men, it's your duty to sleep with your wife. And women, it's your duty to sleep with your husband. Why? So that they won't try to go look in other places for it. Look, man, you guys need to enjoy it with each other. God created it for us to enjoy. But listen, God put boundaries on it. And let me tell you something. Nothing in your life is worth anything if it doesn't have boundaries on it. Nothing in your life is valuable if it doesn't have boundaries on it. 
If I have something valuable, if you give me a suitcase with a million dollars on it, what, and I'm, I'm carrying a suitcase with a million dollars, I'd be like, I'd be, I'd have a gun on me. I mean, I'd be protecting it. Like, I'm protecting that. And God says, listen, I'm giving sex to you as a gift, and I, and I want to protect it. I want to protect it. I want to guard it. And it's only to be used in the context of marriage. This is the definition that 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and 6 give us of marriage. That marriage is to be with one woman and one man in the context of marriage alone. That's God's plan. And that definition is loaded. It's one man and one woman. It's not one man and one man. It's not one man and one animal. It's not one man and one car. It's not one man and one whatever, right? You laugh, but did you know that there was a man in Massachusetts who petitioned to marry his car? He was in love with his car and wanted to marry the car. He went to court for it. There's another man who petitioned to marry his horse. See, this is what happens. People don't understand that when you start blurring the lines of marriage and you start saying, hey, it's just about love. It's just about love. If you love somebody, then it's okay to marry them. If you love somebody, it's okay to marry them and to marry it. Then we have to say to people, well, if you love your horse, well, we got to let you marry your horse. And if you love your car, you got to be able to marry your car. And the reality is marriage is defined. It is ordained by God. It is given to us in Scripture. And there are parameters placed on marriage. See, this is what we do in our culture, and our culture is what drives our thinking of many of us. Many of you guys think certain ways because your teachers have told you something, because MTV's told you something, because because your parents have told you something, or because you've come to certain conclusions in your life. And here's the reality. Culture does not define truth. The Word of God defines truth. Here's the reality. Your opinion doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't matter. Your mommy's opinion doesn't matter. Your best friend's opinion doesn't matter. God's opinion is what matters. And cultures throughout history have gotten it wrong on many things. There have been cultures who who have cannibalized and eaten each other, and it's been perfectly culturally acceptable. There have been cultures who would just kill at the whim on whoever they want to, and it's been perfectly acceptable. There have been cultures who where pedophilia or infant or killing the killing of babies, infanticide has been as as a part of worship, have been a part of their cultures. But those things don't. Your culture doesn't define truth. God defines truth. God defines truth. And the Bible says marriage is to be with one man and one woman in the context of marriage alone. And and since I'm here, I might as well just address it. I did some of the surveys, and the reality is is that uh, we had 127 students fill out our surveys that we did about a month ago on this stuff. And I'll talk through some of the results with you guys. But 16 of the 127 said that, that they've tr- struggled with same-sex attraction. They've struggled with, with homosexuality. I know you guys all have friends and stuff like that that struggle with it. And I'm just going to tell you, man, that's, that's a real struggle that people have. It's a real sin that people deal with. And I hate the fact the way the church has dealt with this issue in a lot of places. And the church has been like, well, you're going to hell and you're, you're a loser and you're this and you're that. And we've ostracized people who, who have this real struggle in your life. Let me tell you something. The Bible is clear. Homosexuality is sexual sin. Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1, 1 Timothy, Leviticus, all of, those, all of those chapters in the Bible tell us about homosexuality. But it's a sexual sin just like adultery is, just like pornography is, just like any other sexual sin. And people struggle 
with all of those things. And what we have to remember is, is that God, God's love is, is awesome and Jesus came and died for all and Jesus came to die to help you get victory over your sin. But at the same time, you need to understand that God has an opinion about who we have relationships with. And God's opinion is what matters. You say, well, I can't help it. How can I be held responsible? I was born this way. Listen, the, there is no genetic evidence, no scientific evidence, no evidence in biology, no evidence anywhere, none, zero zilts that says that anyone is born that way. That whole idea came out of the psychology community when people like Dr. Phil, who if that's who you're getting your truth from, people like Dr. Phil and other psychologists says, well, we've seen tendencies and children and people seven, eight, nine years old. The problem is, is that there have been those who have, who have had tendencies at a young age who were never homosexuals, never struggled with that sin. Also, it was speculated from, from the psychology community because they believed that, well, we have several hundred thousand genes, and because we have hundreds of thousands of genes, there's probably got to be somewhere in there genetic disposition or a genetic bend towards homosexuality. Then the Human Genome Project was started in 1990, ended in 2000, and the final report was given in 2003. Uh, it took 13 years for the final report to come out. 2,500 scientists doing research, they wrote the entire code of DNA. And what they found is, through writing the entire code of DNA, that humans don't have hundreds of thousands of genes, but humans only have 19,000 genes. And you say, well, 19,000 genes seems like a lot of genes. I mean, there's, what, what if there's one of those genes in there? Listen. A grain of rice has 21,000 genes in its DNA code. A grain of rice has more genetic coding than a human being does. See, this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that we are born with a sin nature. The Bible teaches that every single one of us are born with a sin nature. And you say, I'm born this way? We're all born that way, Lady Gaga. We are all born separated from God. We are all born in our sin. Every single one of us are. And if it wasn't for the grace of God and the grace of, of what Jesus did for us by God sending his son Jesus to die on the cross and to be buried and raised again on the third day, there's no victory over sin. And, and we don't have time because I'm not doing a whole message on this, but man, I could show you testimony after testimony after testimony of those who lived in openly gay lifestyles, gave their life to Christ, and God gave them strength, and God gave them the power to overcome sexual sin in their life. But this is what happened. We say, hey man, I want to indulge, I want to live my life, I want to live it, I want to do what I want to do, I'm going to go out here and do my thing, I'm going to do my thing. Man, I don't want God to be in my life, I don't want, any, I don't want to answer to anybody, I want to do my thing. God's word is clear. Moving on. Paul tells us here, he's like, look, man. He's like, you guys need to enjoy it together. He says, the, wife, the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband in the same way. The husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. He's like, look, man, your body's not your own anymore. My body's not my own anymore. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2 that we have become one flesh together. And in, if you get up in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he talks about this as well. And this is a pretty cool picture because what the Bible's telling us here is, is that when we, when, we have, when we have sex with our wife one day, when we get married one day, we become one flesh 
with that person. And when you do that with people outside of marriage, you become one flesh with them. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, hey, listen, when you're going out there and you're just sleeping around and you're doing these things, do you realize that you're a Christian, that you have Jesus Christ living inside of you? He says, would you go and unite Jesus with a prostitute? He's saying, listen, man, you're out there saying I'm a Christian and you're living your life for Christ, yet you're, and you're saying that Christ lives in you, yet you're going out here and you're doing things outside of the way that I say that you're able to do them. I want you to enjoy it. I want it to be great. It's something I've designed for you, but, man, you have perverted my plan for this. And he goes on and saying, he says, then come together again. So that, or he goes on, he says, do not deprive each other except by mutual consent. He's saying, hey, listen, husband and wives, you shouldn't deprive each other from sex. Unless it's by mutual consent, unless you want to spend a time in prayer. And then he says, but if you do that, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. Or I say this out of concern, not as a command. Listen. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has his, this gift and another that, because Paul was unmarried. He's talking about this, and he says, Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. He's saying, look, man, it's okay for you to be single. It's all right. And then he goes on to say, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better for them to marry than, listen, to burn with passion. The Greek word that's given right here is this word. Does this word look familiar? Pyro. He says, listen, if you're not married, that's cool, but if you can't control yourself, if you can't control yourself in a relationship, you can't control yourself, man, when you guys get down the road and you're in relationships and you're like, dude, we can't control ourselves. He's like, listen, hold off a second. Do things God's way, but go ahead and get married. Go ahead and get married. Man, there's no sense. There's no sense in you being dating somebody for six years, engaged for like three years, and all this kind of stuff. I'll just be straight up with you. I was dating my wife for six months. I knew that I wanted to marry her because she had all the qualities that we talked about last week in a person who loves Jesus. I dated her for six months. We got engaged. She says, when do you think we're going to be married? I was like, I don't want to be engaged for longer than six months. Why? Because I don't have self-control. You know what I'm saying? Let's get this show on the road. Because here's the deal. The sparks were there, and I was ready to throw the fuel on. You know what I mean? And then we have people say, oh, man, my friends say this, and my wife and I, man, I love you, baby. You lazy. My wife and I, listen, and, and I tell you this, I tell you this because I want you to know, you say, man, I just don't know anybody that can keep themselves pure and all this kind of stuff. My wife and I kept our relationship pure until we got married. Until we got married. The first time that, that we had sex was on our wedding night. And my friends, they say, hey, man, hey, man, you've got to test drive before you take it off the lot, bro. Come on, man. I mean, I mean, what if she ain't good? What if she ain't good? How you know? What if she ain't good? I'm like, bro, you are an idiot. <laughs> number one, number one, when you do things God's way, God will honor your relationship. A recent study was done, actually recent, it was about five years ago, of those who kept themselves pure until they got married and those who had had sex in their relationship before they got married and the sex lives of those who, got, who waited until they got married 
were better than those who hadn't. You do things God's way, he honors it. Secondly, if neither one of you know what you're doing, you get to learn together. And third, it don't suck. You learn together, man. That is the beauty of it. That's the beauty of the way God intended. God's like, hey, man, like, so what? Learn. Enjoy each other. And our culture perverts that. You say, all right, listen, Derek. All right, all right. I got you, man. I got you. I got you. But how do I get victory? How do I get victory over this, this sexual sin? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to cut it. I'm going to cut out some of this kind of stuff, and we're going to get to it. I want you to, go to, I want you to jump back up towards the end of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to look, we're gonna look uh, I believe it's verse 18. Yes, verse 18. We're going to start there. Look what he says. This is awesome. He says, flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. You say, what is God's game plan for you to get victory over this in your life? What is God's game plan? I'm going to tell you what God's game plan is. Run in the other direction. Flee. That Greek word literally in the New Testament, that Greek word comes from the word that, is, that means it's a guy who, like if it, uh, a, a city would, uh, you would have a city and there would be a guy that would go stand on all the corners of the city and they would keep lookout. And it would be a couple miles from the city. And they would keep an eye on the other little towns and cities around. And if, and if they saw them mounting their armies together and moving in your direction, that guy would turn and run as fast as he could because he knew that if he didn't tell his city, his wife, his children, his family, everyone would be destroyed. So he would run as fast as he can back to the city going, hey, 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 they're coming, they're coming. And they would mount up, get, get ready for battle. That is the word that's given right here that, for that guy. And he's saying, listen, flee, run in the other direction. I, I mean, listen, can you imagine if you were playing football? <laughs> and you, your football coach said, all right, here's the game plan, guys. The guy that is carrying the ball, I want you to run away from him. Coach, what are you talking about, man? He's like, no, 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 this is the game plan. When the guy takes the ball and he starts running towards the end zone, I, I, I want you to run away from him. Like, God, that doesn't make sense. God, why would you tell us to flee? Why would you tell us to run away? He says, flee sexual morality. Listen, because God knows that for many of us, we are not strong enough to overcome. We're not. He's like, dude, you, you got those sparks going and, and the flame starts happening and that kind of stuff. You're not strong enough. You need to run. Let me give you some practical advice here. Flee sexual morality. You're on your computer and you're on the internet and boom, all of a sudden something pops up on the internet that you shouldn't be looking at. You've got two choices to make. One, flee or two, click further. What does flee mean? Flee means log out. Flee means get up and go take a cold shower. Flee means go out and take a, do like run laps around your house. Like flee means get out of there, right? You, you, you walk in, dude, you go, to, you go to your girlfriend's house, like, yeah, man, we're going to hang out. Knock on the door. She comes to the door. She's looking all cute, you know what I'm saying? The sparks are going, and she comes to the door, and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. She's like, yeah, come on in. Yeah, my mom and dad, they just left a little bit ago, and you know that you're going to be in the house there alone with her, and so you're like, hey, hold on a second. Uh, I need to flee. Like, I got to get out. Like, I got to go. Hey, hey, you know what, man? Dang, man, you know what? I, dude, I left. I left something on the stove at home. Like, just lie, all right? I'm a pastor. I'm telling you, 
just, no, I'm just kidding. But anyways, but you just tell her, and I mean, you run, you like get out of there, you go get in the car. Hey, you know what, babe, hey, how about we go down to Starbucks or something like that, you know what I mean? And you know what I'm talking about. Like you go, and your motor's running a little bit, and you, and you feel, you know, that spark's a little sparkier than it is usual, you know what I'm saying? And, and you feel that going on, you know that, and you're like, dude, we've got to get out of here, Right? I mean, dude, you're, you're cuddling with your girlfriend and all this kind of stuff, and she's all nuzzling against you, and you guys are looking at each other in your eyes. Dude, get out of there. Flee. That's what he says, dude. God's game plan for this is flee. And, and why does he say flee? I actually read this quote from this guy, Barnes. He says this. The man should escape from it. He should not stay to reason about it, to debate the matter. Or even to contend with his propensities. Or to try the strength of his virtue. Listen to this. There are some sins which a man can resist. Some about which he can reason without danger of pollution. But this is a sin where a man is safe only when he flees. Only when he frees himself from pollution. And when he refuses to entertain the thought of it. He secures victory when he seeks flight. Man, listen, there are some sins. There are some things. And you know what they are. For some of you, they may be sexual immorality. For some of you, they may be something totally different. But there are some things. You know the thing that just grabs you. There are some things that you just have to flee. You just have to flee. You know that if you put yourself in that situation, like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And you got to flee. you got to get out of there. Man, this is a verse that every single one of you in here should memorize. David says in Psalm 119, I've hidden your words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Man, this is, a, this is, this is it right here. You memorize this. And I will look, what you, look what he says. He says, because all other sins a person commits are outside of the body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Listen, this is what he says. Sexual sin is in a category of its own. All other sins are committed outside the body, but when you sin sexually, you sin against your own body. Listen, there is seriousness to this. He who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of God? When you go to Galatians chapter 5 and it says the acts of the sin nature are obvious and it begins to list and it lists like 20 different sins that are a part of the sin nature. The first three it mentions, the very first one it mentions is pornia, Sexual immorality, lust, and impurity. That's the first three that it mentions. Why do you think that he placed those at the very first, the very top? I think it's because... He knows the severity of the fire, the damage that can happen if you don't do things God's way in those areas. Flee sexual immorality. All other sins are committed outside by When you sin sexually, you sin against your own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Listen, this is what he's saying. You guys are believers. I'm talking to the church. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of God? Like, what does that mean, that your bodies are a temple of God? If you back up a little bit and you begin to read what he's talking about earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he talks about this. He says, your bodies are for the Lord and your Lord for your bodies. 
Your bodies are for the Lord. What does that mean? This is what that means. That means that your, your bodies are not designed for sexual immorality. Your bodies are designed for the Lord. This is what we worship with. This is what we seek God with. This is, this is what we take the gospel. This is what we take the message of Jesus with to people that don't know Christ. This is designed for Jesus. This is designed for worship. This isn't designed for immorality. And that's what he's saying. Your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God resides in you. Jesus resides in you. And this is foundational to your relationship with Jesus. In fact, Paul tells us 164 times in the New Testament that when you give your life to Jesus, you have been placed in Christ. You are in his family. You are placed in him. The Bible tells us in Colossians that, that he is placed in you. And so the, Jesus lives inside of you. The power of God lives inside of you, and that helps you overcome. And so your body is literally a temple of worship for God. That's what he's talking about. He says, listen, he gets done talking about sexual immorality. He goes into chapter 7 where we started tonight. And he says, listen, you need to get this idea in your head about sex right and what God thinks about it so that when you get married, you will have the right view of marriage. And the right view of marriage and the right view of sex go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. I know what some of you guys are thinking. You're like, yeah, man, when I get married one day, dude, it's just going to be sex fest. <laughs> I know I was a teenage guy one time. And that's what we think, man. Guys, I'm telling you, man, is sex important in marriage? Absolutely it is. Is it most important in marriage? No. It's like 5% of marriage. I talk with my wife probably like 25 hours for every like minute. No, I'm just kidding. And, uh, but what I'm saying is that communication in marriage is, is important. And there's other areas of marriage that are important. Marriage isn't just about sex. Marriage is about so much more. And listen, sex isn't just physical. Sex is emotional. It's mental. It is, it is, it is all, it's spiritual. It is all these things wrapped up in one because God designed it. And some of you guys abuse it and you say, you know what, I don't care. I'm going to give my body to whoever. And you're not just giving yourself away physically. You're giving yourself away in all of those other ways as well. And you've got to guard against that. I want to read to you guys some of the, uh, some of the um, or tell you some of these statistics and stuff that, that we found from the survey. Of 127 students that filled out the survey, 127 high school students, how many do you think have had sex? Let me get a couple. How many? 90. How many? 100. 100 out of 127. 120 out of 127. Hey, everybody's doing it. 120 out of 127. All right, 20. How many? 1%? All right, all right, all right. All right, shh. Listen. 
Out of 127 people that filled out the survey, 22. 22. But everybody's doing it. No, they're not. No, they're not. Even more shocking to you may be the fact that out of 127, 49 of 127 have never kissed, never held hands, never done anything. Over 40% of you have kept it pure. You say everybody's doing it. No, they're not. You know, the national average that is done across the board, not just in church, but across the board in public high schools, that, that 70% of high school students are making it to high school graduation as virgins. 70%. You say, everybody's doing it. No, they're not. See, this is what happens. We get the wrong perspective on things because we hear people talking and we hear people saying stuff and we think everybody's doing it and you need to know something. No, they're not. No, they're not. Everybody's not doing it. I think you guys need to give yourselves a hand. And I want to challenge you guys with something right now. The greatest testimony, shh, the great, and, I, and then I'm going to bring this thing to a close. The greatest testimony that you can have is this. I remained faithful in my relationship with Christ, and I kept myself pure. That is the greatest testimony that anybody can have. I'm just telling you right now. When somebody tells me I've remained faithful to God, listen, when some guy gets up and he's like, dude, I was in a gang and I shot 17 people and I got shot eight times and, man, I got alcohol poisoning 40 times and I, sm I smoked this and I did that and all this kind of stuff, but, man, God really came in and saved me and changed my life. Man, that's great and that is awesome and God's grace is amazing and God can save anybody and God's grace is for everybody and God's forgiveness is complete and perfect and Jesus died for every sin that was ever committed on the face of this earth. But let me tell you something. You know what really gets me going when I hear somebody get up there and say, man, you know what? I was tempted. Yeah, I had struggles. Yeah, high school was tough and college was tough. But God got me through. I made it through, man. And you can do it. Now, likewise, I realize there's some of you in here, you've done things that you're not proud of. There's some of you guys in here, man, You've dropped the ball in the area of purity in your life. Man, I can relate to you because I did myself. When I was younger, I didn't keep myself pure. And I'll tell you, the hardest conversation I've ever had to have in my life, period, was when I had to tell my wife who had kept herself pure for me. She wasn't the only person I've ever been with. But this is what I know. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was tempted in every way, the Bible tells us, as we are. Yes, including sexual sin. Yet, he was without sin. And he went to the cross as the perfect sinless sacrifice. And he took every sin that has ever been committed in, for all of history, and he put it on his back. And he took it to the cross 
And he died in place of you and he died in place of me because of our sin. He died the death that every single one of us should have died. He died the death that every single one of us should have taken. He was taken off the cross and he was buried. And on the third day he rose again, defeating sin and death. And he got the victory. And the Bible tells us that by his wounds we are healed. The Bible tells us that though your sins are like scarlet, he makes them as white as snow. Though your sins, he goes on to say in 1 John 1, 9, he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I'm here to tell you, some of you guys are in here and you are carrying around a lot of guilt from a lot of stuff that you've done in your life that you're not proud of. And look, I'm here to tell you from experience, you need to know this, that Jesus loves you he died for you, and He will forgive you. He has forgiven you. And if you confess your sins to Him, He will forgive you, and He will take it, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says He will remember our transgressions no more. Not only does He forgive us of our sins, but He forgets about them. It's kind of like this. It's kind of, I've heard it put this way. It's kind of like me, me going back to God and saying, hey, God, I mean, I know I, I prayed this already to you, and, and God, I asked for your forgiveness for this, but it's just been on my heart, and I can't get it off my mind. God, will you please forgive me? And, and I can just picture God being like, like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't even remember you doing that. I remember forgetting about it. And if you're here tonight and you need the forgiveness of Jesus, you need to know that Jesus will forgive you. And you need to know that Jesus has already accomplished on the cross what it takes to forgive you. And all you have to do is respond to him and confess your sins to him and he will forgive you. I promise. I'm going to have the band come up. I'm going to close this out tonight. And this is what I want to do. If you're here tonight, man, and you just need, you just need the forgiveness of God. You've, you've got some junk in your life. Maybe, it, maybe it's... Maybe, maybe it's sex or other stuff, purity issues or porn or some, maybe it's that kind of stuff. Or maybe it's just something totally different. And you just need God's forgiveness. Man, I want to challenge you tonight just to push into that. I want to just ask you to pray and ask God to take it away from you and he will. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you'll be with tonight. God, that you'll work in our hearts. God, that you'll do business with us in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.